Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. You can sit. Thank you, Curtis. Welcome. Um, I'm Scott Morris, teaching elder here at Livingstone Church. So glad to have you all here with us this morning. Thanks, uh, gentlemen, for leading us in, in praise and music this morning. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, we'd love for you to turn them over to Hosea. Hosea chapter 4. We're going to be looking at chapters 4 and 5 today. Um, I would really encourage you during this time, we're going we're gonna to pick up our pace and pick up speed as we go through Hosea. So it really, really, really would be of great benefit to you to be reading ahead. Um, in fact, I would challenge you every week, read through the book of Hosea. It's only 14 chapters. And so if, and they're short chapters too. So they're, they're not like Psalm 119, where like you're trying to conquer that in a day. Um, but rather, you can read two chapters pretty easily and, and go through it. And because what's going to happen is we go through this book and then we're looking at it smaller sections of the book. You're keeping that larger section of the book in front of you. So, so just do that. If you can, every week, just read through the Word of God, read through Hosea, and be studying it um, as we look at this book today. Um, thank you, Curtis, so much for reading. I, you almost feel bad about having people read in the book of Hosea because it's like you're standing up here, thus saith the Lord, Israel, you stink, okay? And um, you're like, man, um, can, can, I, can I get a more little uplifting chapter next week? And, and again, I want to remind us, we find ourselves in the, in the book of Hosea, which is this incredible book of prophecy, of living prophecy to open up with. And now we're moving into the formal portion of the prophecy that God spoke to Hosea, that he was spoke to pe- speak to the people of Israel. These first three verses will serve, and if you write in your Bibles and you're okay with that, you, you can circle this, those, this verse, especially verse number one, and say, write key verse of Hosea right next to it. Right here in chapter 1, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Now, that's just, that's just terrifying. God has issue with you, Israel. God is upset with you. God is angry with you. He has controversy with you. And Why? There are three specific things that are going to be mentioned here in verse 1. And this is how we're going to break down the next three to four weeks. I still haven't determined how, if we're going to break today up into two. So that's the fun of the journey of today, is today may go two weeks. Because there's, there, there's a lot here, and I want us to not rush through it this morning. Um, he says, first, there's no faithfulness. And, and so you can underline that, you can circle that. There's no faithfulness in Israel. The second thing that they don't have is this steadfast love. The third thing that they don't have is knowledge of God. There's no faithfulness. 
There's no steadfast love. There's no knowledge of God in the land of Israel. But there are some other things. Maybe they're sitting there saying Israel's maybe, well, that's not very fair. We're good at some things. Yeah, yeah, God said, here's what you're good at. You're good at swearing. And when we think of swearing, we want to contextualize things in our modern day of understanding here. This is not what we need to do at this point. Swearing is basically telling people or giving them an oath in the name of Yahweh. They're literally saying, thus saith the Lord. When they have no faithfulness, no steadfast love, and no knowledge of God. But binding God to oath. They're lying. They're murdering. They're stealing. They're committing adultery. They break all bonds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and even the fish of the sea are taken away. As I read this text... I'm reminded of another text similar to this, and it it takes us all the way back to the beginning. Genesis, when Adam and Eve rebel and sin against God, they disobey God, for they themselves wanted to be like God. They wanted to be God. And they sin, and they rebelled against God. And what happens to the earth? The earth itself is then cursed. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if we really grasp it that the spiritual realm and the physical realm are not separate entities. That when God says and comes against Israel because of your spiritual disobedience, because you have not loved me, because you have not remained faithful to me, because you have chosen to reject me in your mind, the knowledge of me, you will be punished and the earth itself will be punished because of your disobedience. How can God bless the land and have give them fruitful crops and allow them to remain in the land when they're being disobedient? He can't. Because we've talked about it over and over again. The most important thing for the Israelite people is an intimate, close walk with their God. God is a jealous God and he'll do anything that is necessary to draw his people back to him because God's judgment isn't a judgment that leaves them broken or condemned, but rather his judgment is so that they might confess and repent of their sin and turn once again into following with God. That's, we have to keep that in mind when we're looking at the book of Hosea and specifically this prophecy against the people of Israel. So the first thing that we're going to dive into this morning is this idea of the people of Israel. They're going to go in reverse order now. So the first thing we're going to look at this week is Israelites have no knowledge of God. Next week, we're going to, if we get through today, we're going to look at the fact that Israelites have no love, steadfast mercy, love there of God. And finally, they have no faithfulness in God. There's a beautiful picture that Glenn and I were kind of wrestling with this week as we were talking about this passage in and this idea of knowing something, and it's a, it's, it's a picture that's already been started in the book of Hosea, and this idea of, of a groom and a bride, this idea of marriage. And as we look at the marriage, you know, it's very interesting. I used to pride myself great and that I knew my wife. I remember when 
Christy and I had been married a little over a year and a half. Christy was sent to Korea. We were both in the Army at the time, and she went off to Korea, and I went into basic training in AIT, and I would join up with her later. Yeah, don't ever, like, talk to Christy and I and would desire to pattern your life after ours. We, we, we do not safe things and not very smart things sometimes. But anyway, so off we went, separated, married a year and a half. We were separated for over a year, and then I joined her in Korea. But as I was getting ready to come join her in Korea, I thought I was going to do something really cool. I was going to get her some clothes, okay? And I prided myself, right? I'm going to buy her some clothes, pack them in my things, and when we meet up in Korea, I'm going to be like, hey, it's so exciting to see each other once again, and here's some neat clothes that I bought for you for, for Korea, I mean, from the States, and so I'd be a, be a hero, right? And I was so proud that I knew her sizes, like her, her, her intimate apparel sizes, as well as her regular clothes sizes, and hey, we're married, it's good. I, I, and, and, and I knew that this was the size of her foot, like it was from my pinky to my thumb, not this hand. This hand's too short. This hand, okay? That was the size of her foot, okay? And so I was so excited. I brought these shoes and clothes with her, and I thought, man, I really know my wife. But as I began to think about this passage and, and, and the pride of myself and knowing this passage, that's knowing about my wife like her physical appearance. But to know Christy is to understand that in that moment of frustration, she lashes out why. That when I hurt her heart and she doesn't condemn me, but forgives me. See, that, that's, that's getting to know my wife. loves us so much, and I don't think we think about this enough, I know I don't, that he revealed himself to us, he made himself known to us. My dear friend, and I was so humbled by this this week, um, I say dear friend, but we haven't talked a whole lot because um, in high school we were best friends. Um, he came to faith because of our friendship. And, and then I didn't invite him to be part of my wedding, and it started a long rift between us. And just this last year, we started communicating again. And he posted on Facebook this week, for ever since the world was created, people have seen earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities and his eternal power and his divine nature. Romans 1.20. God gave us this creation to look out and to see and to begin to know him and begin to see him that he is a powerful creator of the world. God made the creation not for us to worship the creation, but rather to worship the creator and for our hearts and our lives to understand that we are so small in light of this massive creation and how amazing our God is. But over time and time again, we see in the scriptures that especially this worship of the prophet Baal that the Israelites continue to struggle with. Like they're worshiping this God of fertility or they're worshiping different aspects of creation, the thunder God, the, the lightning God, the, the, the sun God. They're, they're worshiping all these things instead of worshiping the creator, the one who made it all. 
And that's, that's the God of creation is the God that revealed himself to the Israelites, especially when we talk about the Israelites leaving out of Egypt from slavery, going through the Red Sea. God took them into the wilderness so that they might know him. So that he might reveal himself to them because he loved them. And because he wanted them to know him, to know his power, to know his might, to know his glory, so that they could worship him over and over and over again. And God is going to take the Israelite people once again to a wilderness experience as the Assyrian army is going to come in, move them out of their land, move them away from their false gods, and place them in this wonderful place of devastation so that they might return once again to know their God. He says here in Hosea 4, 4, yet let no one contend and let no one accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet shall also stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. For my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Now, what's very interesting here, he seems to be particularly talking to the priests of the people here in this section, the spiritual leaders, if you will. He goes on to say in 4.7, the more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. The priests, the spiritual leaders of Israel have done not just actively, but also passively, they have forgotten their God. It says they have rejected the knowledge of God. They have rejected even the idea of knowing God. They'd rather know Baal. They'd rather know a wooden image that doesn't speak, that doesn't say anything, that doesn't do anything, that has no power. They'd rather worship that. They'd rather know about a wooden image and how to properly carve a wooden image. Like, oh, no, that's not Baal's face. Really? Baal doesn't have, okay, but it's like this, right? Rather than know God. And... They have passively forgotten their God. And notice the result of this passively, like, oh, we just forgot about God. Who pays the penalty for passively forgetting about God? Don't miss this. The children. And, and, but this is not the first time we've seen that. We've seen that in Israel's history where a generation would rise up and they didn't know God. And whenever you hear that, especially in the book of Judges, a generation rose up and they didn't know God, you just expect bad things to happen. They have actively rejected to know God and they have passively just forgotten about God. And God will deal with the spiritual leaders. It's very interesting, this verse 8, they feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for the iniquity. This is quite interesting. So the priests would oversee sin sacrifices. And, and they would offer these sin sacrifices upon the altar. And then there was a portion of this meat that would be given to the priests to eat and to feast upon. They're quite literally encouraging the people. Come offer more sacrifices. Come offer more. I don't care if you're repentant or not. Come offer more sacrifices so we can get fat on your sin. What a horrible picture of spiritual leadership. 
And some of you may be sitting here this morning, you may be going, that's right, elders. Scott, you better be listening up there, buddy. You know, this is talking about spiritual leaders. But you know what's crazy is in the book of Hebrews and elsewhere in the New Testament, we see that we are to be a kingdom of priests ourselves. When we talk to people about confessing their sin, when we talk to people about being repentant, are we just wanting them to utter words? I mean, we were talking, sitting around as a sermon chat team talking about this this week, and there are times that we offer up repentance and confession, but we do so in in almost a prideful manner. Like, my sin is so great. Like, my sin is so huge. And, and, and instead, and they're like, and you're almost, when you hear people say this, like, it's like, man, are, are you really even sorry you sinned? Are, do you, are you mourning that sin? Are you, you holding it as some kind of object of pride? Like, God has forgiven me so much. God knows me so much more than you because I have sinned so much greater than you have. I'm like, whoa. Whoa. You know, I was raised in a Christian home and I don't have a sex, drugs, and rock and roll testimony. I have a different kind of testimony. But it took the same miracle to save me it does for the sex, drug, and rock and roll testimony. It's a miracle. It's the grace of God. And it needed the cross of Jesus Christ. When we lead people to repentance, do we lead them to a place where they confess their sin and then want to turn from it? Think of how spiritual leaders have also devastated our nation. Spiritual leaders in this nation have gotten fat off religiosity. We laugh about stuff like prayer cloths, like Send money in, get a prayer cloth, put it up in your home, and God will give you the Ferrari and the mansion. That stuff's real. As religious leaders, we have forgotten that God wants us to know him. That when we preach and we teach on Sunday morning, it is for the purposes of our congregations to know God, to walk with God. And what's beautiful about this word in Hebrew is it's this word yada. And then I looked over in the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the New Testament, and I was like, I'm just curious what the Greeks were, were translating that is. And they translated it as epigonosko, which again carries with it, not always, again contextually, um, you need to look at words in their context, but both of these terms carry the weight of an experiential knowledge of God. And sometimes I get really mad at the English language because it's weak sauce. It's like somebody says, I know God, right? I'm a Christian, I know God. But when they were talking about you know God, they were talking about this idea and understanding that God is impacting your life and changing your heart so that you cannot remain the same as you were yesterday today. Like to know God means that he is changing who you are. You cannot remain the same. That's what God wanted from the people of Israel. I want you to know me. You cannot sit there and say you remain in your sin and know me. No way. Because to know God is to want to live for God, is to want to obey God, is to want to please God, is to want to have the desires of God. That's what it means to know God, to experience God, to have him change your heart, to have him change your life. Yeah. 
And that's what Israel has lost. The religious leaders, the people who were supposed to say, hey, come on, Curtis, let's go follow God together. I pick on Curtis because he sits up here every Sunday. I'm just pick on him. Hey, come on. Like, yeah, let's go. But, but instead, the religious leaders were saying, no, you stay in your sin and keep offering sin sacrifices so I can get my belly fed. No, it's come on. Let's leave this behind. And we fear this is the church. We fear it. You fear religious leaders coming alongside of you and saying, leave that sin behind and press into Jesus Christ because there's been abuse of authority. There's been abuse of power. We fear, forget religious leaders. We just fear each other. We fear opening our hearts up to the point of each other where we're willing to walk alongside of each other and literally, literally unable to speak into each other's lives. We don't want that because that's too dangerous. That hurts too much. And so we remain in what we're in because we don't want to walk with people into the victory and the freedom that Christ has for us in knowing him. That's what it is to know Jesus, is to be set free. I'm telling you what the world has for you, the lies, it's just going to leave you in bondage. But Jesus is saying from the cross, it is finished. And then he gets up and he walks out of the grave and he says, come on. I got to get out of here so that the Holy Spirit can come and the Holy Spirit's going to come inside of you. And the Holy Spirit's going to indwell you and so that you can go out as missionaries for me and your communities and your valleys and wherever I send you to the end of the earth. Go! I mean, something is so amazing. I'm sitting there, you know, I just love it when God affirms because I was praying this week and I'm finished with the gospel of John. I'm like, man, God, I want to, I just want to just slow down and spend time on your word. I don't want to read 20 chapters a day. I just want to read one chapter at a time and just sit in it. And I feel like God was just really touching my heart to enter into 1 Corinthians. And then this week, and in 2 Corinthians, I read this. That is so beautiful. Let me see if I'm going to get this far enough away from my face to read. There we go. That's a lot better. Chapter 2, verse 11 for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now verse 12, don't miss this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely that given us by God. And we impart the, this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Brothers and sisters, we, if you are a child of God this morning, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have surrendered your life to him, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And guess what this text is saying? You can know God, the mind of God. Not be God. Now, I'm not, I want to make that very clear. But you can know the mind of God. You can know his, his desire and his will for your life. And not in the Ouija boards kind of way. And I'm dead serious. God is not a stick you throw up on the ground and say, which way do I go? The knowledge of God is so much deeper. God is changing your heart and life that when you come to a crossroad, you hit your knees and say, God, it's for your glory. Lead me, guide me, direct me. And we get up with great confidence that the Spirit will lead us and guide us. Because the Spirit indwells us. 
He is changing in our hearts and our lives so that when we come to a decision, it's not the will of our flesh that drives the decision, but rather the will of God in us by the Spirit of God. To know God. I don't know if we believe we can know God like that. I think we struggle to think about like, can I really truly know God like that? Absolutely. The Holy Spirit leading, guiding, and instructing us, the very words of God given to us. I mean, I don't know if you get it. This is a gift. This is a gift, and I'm not even going to have you raise your hands because it'll get way too convicting, way too quick. But how many of you cracked it this week? This is the word of God to us. This is how we know him. How can we sit there and say, yeah, I know God, I love God, but you didn't hear from him this week. See, this is, what, this is so amazing, so powerful to get into this. Hosea, are you kidding me? Like, all of a sudden, I've had so many people. It's been fun. Like, you know, I've, been, I've read Hosea before, and I, it's maybe one of those books that I'm reading through the Bible. Okay, Minor Prophets. Let's just skip to Matthew. Things, things like, let's, Daniel's good. There's some great stories in Daniel. We'll go through Daniel, and then we're just going to jump to Matthew. Because, like, those are like, but when you start viewing them, from this perspective of like, God is doing this to his people, to, to these nations, so that they might repent, believe, and pursue God. That changes the perspective of everything of how we read these books. It wasn't just the spiritual leaders that are convicted or condemned in their actions. It was the whole people themselves verse 9 and it shall be like people like priest and I want you to hear that we live in a blame 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 society not much has changed since the garden the woman made me do it It well the, the, that pastor made me do it well that preacher he tricked me there who who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit the people of God brothers and sisters we're accountable. All of us are accountable. The spiritual leaders, even more accountable. But all of us are for our accountable for our walks with God. And it shall be like people, like priests, and I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. But they shall eat and be not satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish. Whoredom, wine, new wine, which take away the understanding. Don't miss this. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. And, and we want to rise up and we want to save the Israelite people, you, you bunch of knuckleheads. Why would you do that? But we do it all the time. If you want, if you want my, my, my proof of that, walk into a Christian bookstore. Go look at the shelves. They're filled with this. Self-help this, self-help that in the name of God. We'll sprinkle a little scripture on it. We'll sprinkle a little Jesus on it. And, and you too, you could set yourself free. Are you kidding me? We're a broken people. And the only freedom we're ever going to get is through Jesus Christ. Amen. And full surrender to him means victory. Full surrender to him means freedom to walk away from these things. We are just as guilty. We look to 
there are Christians, oh my goodness, John sent me this great website this week about statistics in Christians and evangelical Christians. One of these statistics is 70% of evangelical Christians believe that everybody's going to heaven. 70%. And I know your minds are going, well, where's he getting stats from? And I, my mind went there too. And I, you know, I didn't have time to fully research that, but I, I'm saying, okay, let's say that half that's right. A third, let's just say a third of Christians, which I truly believe. So if you believe nobody's going to hell, then you're not sharing the gospel with anything because what's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good for me. We look to our financial resources. We look to our occupations, our jobs to guide and discern us. People are looking at horoscopes. People are looking at the stars and saying, guide me and lead me. I mean, brothers and sisters, people are looking at their checkbooks like, how much is in my checkbook this morning? Wait a minute, I committed to give this to God, but my checkbook says this, so I'm gonna, my checkbook's going to be my guide this morning, not my God. Brothers and sisters, what is it that is giving a spiritual discernment and spiritual direction? See, God has given us the word, God has given us his spirit, and God has given us the community of believers. We have great resources to pull from to understand where God is leading us and where God is taking us. But if we're off over here in isolation by ourselves, we are hurting ourselves and the ability to know and to discern God and to know and to discern God's will for us. This text goes on to also talk about here the sacrifices that the Israelites would offer. <laughs> they sacrifice on the tops of mountains and burn offerings on the hills and under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. What's going on here? <laughs> Sacrifice that doesn't cost you something isn't what? Their sacrifice cost them nothing. I mean, in fact, they're, they're even sacrificing to these false gods underneath the shade of the tree. Because really what it's about, it's not about the false god. What's God getting at the issue here? The issue isn't the false god. The issue is these individual people who say, I want luxury. I want things the way I want it. I want things on my terms. And so I'm going to create gods that give things on my terms. And I'm going to sacrifice those gods in ways that are easy for me to deal with. It just boils down to what's easy, what feels good. Let me tell you something. I'm going to crash some, some, some bad theology here this morning. Following Jesus Christ isn't luxury. It's going to be hard. It's going to be sacrificial. In fact, there are some churches in India that if you were to go and start, it's like, see, I, I'd like to, I think I want to start following Jesus. They sit you down and they have their suffering talk. And they tell you it could probably cost you your life or at least your family, relationship with your family, if you follow Jesus and you join in with this church body pursuing Jesus. But in America, just pray this, pray, we'll give you the golden ticket, and that's it, that's all you gotta do. And we'll stand up and we'll applaud and say, sweet, you're going to heaven. But we've told them nothing of following Jesus. Following Jesus is going to cost you your life, that's what it means. You lay down your life. In baptism, we go down under the water. 
representing that we are going to die to ourselves to be brought up into life in Jesus Christ, that we want him to fully live through us this morning. And if somebody sold you a bad bill of goods on that this morning, I'm sorry, but it's my job this morning and love to tell you that to know God is to surrender fully to him and give your lives to him. And that gets exciting and it's not something to be fearful of because he's a great and glorious good God. He's so good. And he'll make the counterfeit items of this world look like rubbish when you start following him. But it's going to cost you. And that's good for us and glorious to him. He goes on to say, I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore. And I just want to briefly talk to you about this. Nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside and prostitutes and with prostitutes and sacrifice, with cult prostitutes, and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. You guys, this is, this is illicit. This is explicit stuff. He starts off talking about the women. The women, so these temples, Baal temples, God of fertility, They'd go into these temples, and these temples would have thousands of prostitutes and horrific ritual sacrifices that take place from bloodletting to, to, to sacrificing children to, to sleeping with the cult prostitutes. And, and the women would go in and, and do these ceremonies and stuff with these, and, and, and could have sex as well as have a lot of other things take place, horrific things take place within these bail things to include same-sex stuff, okay, for catching my drift. If you think that's a new sin, go read the Bible. It's been around for a long time. But you notice here he says, I'm not going to blame the women for this. Because it's the men who sent them there. It's the men who themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice cult prostitutes. I mean, are you kidding me? If that does not echo the garden, men, God has called us to be spiritual leaders and to know God. He has called us to lead our families. And so if our wives, I mean, it's not a competition. And if I say this wrong, you'll think, well, that's just a competition. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm getting at, do you spend time in the word of God and spiritually lead your families? Are you praying over your wife? First Corinthians, or excuse me, um, Ephesians chapter five talks about the husbands washing their wives with the word. Are you kidding? Are we, are we doing that as men? Are we lovingly leading our wives through the word of God and by walking with the spirit and being men of prayer? And let me tell you something. I'm gonna offend you here. Get ready for it. Men, if you're not willing to pray out loud, what the heck is going on? As spiritual leaders, we're the umbrella holders. We're the protectors. Oh, we'll carry a gun and shoot somebody who breaks in the house, but we won't bend a knee to pray for our wives and our children so that they know that their dad is standing at the doorway, that if the devil and the evil one comes and the sin comes knocking, dad's going to that door and answering that call. We send our daughters out to date men who aren't believers. Brothers and sisters, what? The scriptures talk about us not being unequally yoked. And you're like, well, that's not marriage. Are you kidding me? 
tell that to a little girl who starts seeing a boy who's kind of cute and they start flirting with each other and then things go along. Those hearts, it doesn't take long to start seeing those hearts start coming together. And all of a sudden he comes in and he says something bad and pulls away. Tell me that little girl's not in tears. And now you want to add unfaith into that mix, let alone just romanticism and all the difficulties that come with that? Brothers and sisters, are you kidding me? The nation of Israel was being judged because they, they didn't know God and they were going and joining themselves as cult prostitutes. They were joining themselves into marriage with other nations. They were forgetting their God. And I know some of you are going to say, Scripture, I would love to talk to you about more Scripture. I don't have time to go into all the Scripture about it. But the Bible talks about this clearly. We have our responsibilities. Do not, men, forsake your responsibilities to lead your families. I know it's Mother's Day. Ethan goes to me, are you going to talk about mothers and Mother's Day? And I said, I'm going to talk about Jesus. Because that's the one who always we need to hear from. And Jesus calls us out to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And men, if that doesn't break you down when you hear that, you don't understand it. That means we lay down our lives. We're willing to lay down our lives, lay down everything in order to serve our families, to care for them, to cherish them the way that we need to. This is hard, guys, and I'm in it with you. Don't, don't think that I've arrived at that. Ask my wife, have a conversation with her afterwards, she'll fill you in. I have not arrived. We struggle in this together. We need grace, but I need other men in my life. This morning, I got this great text from a guy that's in my life. He blessed my heart so much because he is so heartbroken over his brother who doesn't know Jesus. And he texted us last night, and he says, I had this conversation with my brother last night about Jesus, and I fumbled all over it. I'm so, like, it was all thumbs, and I, was, I thought that was very interesting terminology that he would send to me. But I was so excited. <laughs> it took you a while, Kathy. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was so excited that to, to hear of him, like, he knows God. And because he knows God, the hardest person probably to minister to and bring the gospel to is your own family, your own brother. But he's got to tell him about it. And it wasn't perfect. But God doesn't call us, you better perfectly get it right to share the gospel. No, he says, know me and, and share the gospel, share what you know of me. And it's, it, he'll take care of it because it's the Holy Spirit who changes hearts and lives. We're the conduit. The Holy Spirit's the changer. It's very interesting Bethel, which is the place where Israel changed to their place of worship, means house of God. But here in Hosea, God changes that in two different places, from Bethel to Bethaven, which means no longer house of God, but house of wickedness. The last piece of this, and I'll go through this with you this morning, is it's, we have a forgetful nation, we have a forgetful spiritual leadership and the priests. We have a forgetful people and we have a forgetful nation. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare to Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor, and the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them.
in the Abrahamic covenant, when God speaks to Abraham, he says that, the, that Abraham and his seeds are to be a blessing to the nations. Israel was supposed to be the place where you would come and discover who God was. You'd travel, you'd come, and you'd meet the Israelite people, and you'd see them offering these sacrifices, and you'd see them living in a different way than the other nations lived. You'd see them having different marriages than the other nations had. You'd see them raising their kids differently than the other nations did. You'd see them handling their money differently than the other nations did. They were to be peculiar, they were to be weird, and they were to be different. They were to be set apart. That's what the word sanctified means. They were to be set apart from the other nations. And so that the nations would come and discover God and say, man, that's different. That's what, oh my goodness. And they'd see God and they'd see the presence of God amongst the people of God. And they'd say, I want to be a people of God. But Israel failed. And that's why this is so huge. Israel getting judged because, guess what? Up until that point, that is God's call and commission. People believe by faith by seeing what God's doing in the life of the Israelite people. And Israel failed in their commission, their covenant, to be obedient to God. That's why God promises the better covenant in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, those of us who are once far away have been brought near. Ones who were once not a people have been called people. And through Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. It is faith alone and Christ alone that, that would bring people into the church. And brothers and sisters, as the nation of Israel was called to be a place where people could come and find God, the church is supposed to be a place that goes with the gospel of God. Notice the change there. In the Old Testament, it was come and see. In the New Testament, Acts, right? We just went through Acts. The church is commissioned to be a people of God that puts the love and the love of God in display outwardly. Now, I love this time. I love hanging out with you. I love getting excited for you. It gets me so pumped up to hear your amens. It gets me so pumped up to hear you say, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. It just gets me just fired up. But the reason we're supposed to be doing this is so that as soon as we, we, it's almost like, you know, we get in the middle here on a Sunday morning, like on a good huddle on a football field. It's almost football season. You get in a good huddle, right? And, and you ready, break. And then you huddle, and then, and then they stay in the huddle. They go, ready, break. Hey, what's going on, man? Are you having a good time? You know, this is so much fun in this huddle. We can just hang out here, right? Well, this, is, this is a good time, right? Hey, we don't need to go. Hey, that guy's bigger than I am. If I go up against him, I'm going to get my tail end whooped, right? No, I'm just going to stay here and have a great time with you. Is that what the church, this is for? No. It's so that we can say break and run to the line and run the play. And God's calling the plays. And what's cool is I get a link shield with my brothers. We line up offensive tackle, offensive guard right here. And we're, we're going to take some people out. I think we could take some people out. We were old, but we could do it. <laughs> and we got to do this together. God, God isn't saying it's a single man break and go run and face the millions. No, he's saying go as a church. I love Hebrews. Hebrews is such a beautiful book. As a church, they're going to the prisons, ministering. Christians have been put in prison, and they're, they're going to feed them. 
They're putting their reputation on display to go love and demonstrate that they know God. And because they know God, God said, love me, love each other, make disciples. Let me tell you something this morning. That's church right there. Strip it all away. Love God, love people, make disciples. That's church. It's that simple. Well, we've made it complicated, but that's, it's that simple. And we go. We go out. And see, that's how we demonstrate now that we know God. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, I know God, but you won't share the gospel, you won't pray, you won't read your scriptures, I want you to come talk with me because I want to understand where your thinking is at. Because to me, to know God is to have a heart changed by God, to want to pursue God, to obey God. Because God, I love him. While I was yet sinner, he died for me. So now I want to obey him. I want to love him. I want to pursue him. I don't want to be guilty of this. I don't want another desert experience. I'm going to close with this this morning. God gave me one. Ethan was all six months old. And I tell you this, not so you can live vicariously through me, but so that you might understand what it is to know God's repentance and, and to pursue God and to know God. We can't stay in our junk, in our sin. The Israelite people were trying to stay in their junk. I was a chaplain assistant in the United States Army, been promoted E5. I developed quite an internet problem. And I remember when the bill came to my house, and my wife opened it. I left for Kuwait for four months on deployment. My wife didn't shed a tear. And rightfully so. She took my son on a run down in Austin, Texas, and took him on a run. And on that run, she just pleaded with God that he would get a hold of my heart. And God literally sent me to the desert. And for four months, a wonderful man of God, a good old Southern Baptist chaplain, poured into me. And God got a hold of my heart. And I've not been perfect since then. I want you to understand that I'm not claiming perfection, brothers and sisters. But I needed that desert experience. Israelite people need that desert experience so that they can begin to walk with God and experience the goodness of God and the graciousness of God and the love and the mercy and the steadfastness of God that they once did. Brothers and sisters, there's hope and there's victory waiting for you, but it it takes surrender. And you're like, man, you're preaching this drum and I'm gonna keep preaching it for a while because I know that there's stuff going on in this church body that needs to be surrendered. Where we just need to turn it over to God and we need each other to walk alongside and do it together. I need men in my life that will ask me how it's going, that will, that will hold me accountable. I need my wife to know my junk. And so that we're not, there's, there's complete communication between each other. And there's, there's, there's this beauty of relationship and openness and freedom. Because you get exhausted hiding in your sin and trying to conceal it and hide it. There's so much freedom. It hurts. 
It's like ripping off that Band-Aid, but once it's exposed, man, I'm telling you what, then you can start healing and you start growing from it and saying, finally, finally, God can redeem this story, but God can't redeem our stories as we remain in our brokenness. God convict, judge the people of Israel for the lack of knowledge of him. I want to ask you this morning, do you know him? Is he changing your heart and life? Are you, are you in the word with him? Are you praying with him? And if you know, then, then hear me this morning. Guess what? It's a great day to start. It's a great day to start. God doesn't convict our hearts to lead to this place of guilt and shame that we just sit there in it. He says, overcome it. I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of Power, love and self-control, power. God has given us this ability to overcome so we can confess it this morning and say, you know what? And we can turn to our wives. What a beautiful Mother's Day gift to give, man. To turn to our wives and say, you know what? I haven't been that guy. I haven't been leading like I was supposed to lead. I haven't been teaching our children like I was supposed to teach our children. And and I want to be that guy. I want to know Jesus. I want to be on my knees before him. I want to have tears fall down my face before him. I want God to soften my heart so that I can lead this family like God's called me to lead. And I'll guarantee you, man, 99.9% of the women in this room, and that 1% is, I don't, I'm just throwing it out there because maybe not 100%, I don't know. But the women are going to go, praise God, sweet. I've been praying for so long. And it'll be beautiful. And for our women in this room who are dating or thinking about dating, even our teen girls in this room, I want you to hear me. Settle for nothing less than a man who pursues God. Full on pursues God. If they don't pursue God, I mean, not, I mean, and I think that sometimes we feel like we enter into relationships. Well, if I talk to them enough, or we call it a missional dating. No, no. And we want to look at the 1% and the 2% that come to faith. I've got a book for you called Spiritually Single. I'd love to give you. That might challenge you a little bit on that. Brothers and sisters, pursue godliness in all areas and aspects of our lives and demonstrate by the way we live our lives that we know the one true God. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can be broken before you. And then in our weakness, you are strong. In our brokenness and in our mourning, you comfort But you never tell us it's okay to sin. You never tell us it's okay that we were unfaithful, that we don't reject the knowledge of you. But you tell us that there's forgiveness. And that we can live in light of knowing you once again. Father God, may we this morning truly repent and turn from the fact that we have struggled to know you in our lives. We've worshipped things that they do not give life, but steal it. We failed to be men who lead our families well. 
because we didn't know what God is calling us to. And maybe here for the first time this morning, some men are hearing the responsibility and role they're being called to. And I pray that you would touch their hearts and encourage them that by the power of the Holy Spirit and other men in this community of believers, we can lead our families lovingly, compassionately. Thank you, Lord, so much for giving us the Holy Spirit that we can know God because we are dwelt by the very presence of God. And then we can read your word and, and see you in the pages over and over again and fall in love with you every single day. Forgive us for our, our lack of knowledge, God, for lack of experiencing you. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, um, surrender, confession, and repentance. Isn't that what's missing in the people in the Hosea story? And that's what Jesus is calling us to as individuals, as a body. So, thank you. That's just... It's a powerful book. It's very humbling. Um, this last week, as we got together for sermon chat, as we ended, the prayer at the end of our time together was one, uh, probably the most humbling and contrite and just, you can't look at this book and the, and the history of the people without it just impacting where am I at? I went home and hugged Amy and asked her to forgive me and she looked at me like what? What'd you do? Where you been? <clears throat> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, we're going to enter into a time for, of God stories and uh, just want to open it up for those of you who want to share what God's putting on your heart or what you've gone through here in the last week um, where God's taken you is there anybody? Please raise your hand. Um, a few years ago, I was struggling greatly with anxiety, and God led me down a path of redemption, uh, repentance and redemption in that, and I was feeling pretty good about things right now. <laughs> Um, and I think just kind of being comfortable reading the Bible to read it, to check it off my list and not to know him. And he's been really speaking to me about that and just a really sweet time of journaling lately, um, with God. And as I read and pray and, um, sing songs and, um, it's so he, he's walking through a new thing with me. <laughs> as I seek approval from other people and not from him. And I want that approval from him. Um, and I would say that it's a lot harder to walk through because it's more subtle. It's not an easy, you know, anxiety thing. It's, I think fear takes place in a lot of ways for each of us. And it looks different, but we still have fear and God's calling us to live in freedom. So I'm, I hope that encourages you as it's encouraging me to seek God and to um, pursue his calling.
Well, I wasn't going to give a God story today, but I think I need to. As most of you know, my wife has been in uh, nursing care now for two years, and the nursing staff has convinced me, and I signed the paperwork uh, Saturday, to place her on hospice care. And it's kind of a shock, but I'm realizing, maybe from this sermon, God is telling me, Don, you've taken care of her for so long. I'll take her from here. So don't worry. We'll be together. Someday I'm looking forward to walking up to her, taking a hold of her, and dancing in that heavenly ballroom. That's my God story. Thank you, Don. Anyone else? I'll share. This week's been bittersweet. On Monday, my mother has Alzheimer's, and she's in um, Wenatchee. And Amy and I went down there to visit with her. And we were sitting with her, and the Holy Spirit just prompted me to uh, ask her about, do you remember this hymn? And I started singing a hymn, and she immediately started singing it. She doesn't remember my name, but she remembers that hymn. And so we sang a couple, and then I opened up my phone and, and played Alan Jackson's gospel hits. And we just sang and sang, and we talked about Jesus and, and who he is and what he's, he hasn't forgotten us and, and just had an incredible time. And it was amazing. Now, next time I go down there, that may not happen, but it happened on Monday. Tuesday, my brother passed away. Yeah, unexpectedly. Um, and so it's been a bittersweet week. When he was 15, I witnessed him confess Jesus as his Lord and Savior and get baptized. I know where he is. 